Emerald Farm Tours is a proud supporter of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. For over 25 years, SSDP has been mobilizing and empowering young people to end the war on drugs. Donate today at ssdp.org donate. Every year, millions of global travelers flock to California in search of the world's finest cannabis. Our job is to get these travelers very high and show them a great time. It's not always as easy as you think. Join us, your heady hosts and cannabis tour guides, Victor Pino and April Black, as we spend an hour each episode trimming back the storied nuggets of life in the weed tourism game. We'll be joined by our friends, colleagues, and cannabis tourism legends from across the globe. So get on board the weed bus, buckle up, and as always, smoke them if you got them. You're about to get high on tour with Victor Pino and April Black. Hello, and welcome to High on Tour with Victor Pino and April Black. We're back with another episode this week with the illustrious and famous comedian Rob Cantrell. Hello, Rob. Hi. Hello, April. Hi. I am so uh, excited to have the wonderful Rob Cantrell on our show today. I know we've been talking about this for a long time, April. We're very excited. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Victor. It's good to see you guys out on the West Coast. Uh, I'm coming from Brooklyn, and the sun's out, and uh, we're getting noontime, and I'm feeling good. Yeah. Uh, we're getting, we're getting oh. sunny, sunny, sunny breakfast times here in California. It's very early, and it's uh, very bright and sunny here. It's very. It's going to be a warm day in, in on the West Coast. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd like to do a little brief intro on Rob, if we can. So. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I'd like to introduce the wonderful, the illustrious Rob Cantrell. He is known for his cannabis comedy. He's uh, been around the world doing his cannabis comedy, as a matter of fact. You have seen him in TV shows like Girls 5 Eva on NBC Peacock, The Last OG on TBS slash Netflix in 2020. He's also been on uh, The Colbert Report, such a great show. He's written for so many things, Adult Swim, Vice, Comedy Central. I've seen him perform comedy at South by Southwest, at Bonnaroo, the New York City Comedy Festival. I've seen him perform in Amsterdam. And his recent project is his self-released music EP called Caffeinated Dope Rhymes. And I'm here to say welcome to the show. I've got my coffee. I got my weed. Let's go. Let's go. I'm psyched to see you guys. Uh, yeah, April, in terms of Cannabis World, I go way back with you guys. And I've known you, April, since High Times days in New York when you were based in New Jersey and first starting to date Bobby Black. Yeah. And Victor, when did we meet? Did we meet in Amsterdam back in the day? Like I No, yeah. I, I, re I have a picture of you and me and April uh, from, I, I think... I don't even know what year that was. Was that like 2008, seven? 2007, I think. It was, it was during the Million Marijuana March, one of the last ones I attended prior to leaving the East Coast for California about, you know, 11 years ago or so, 12 years ago. Yeah. 
I remember that gig and I remember that picture and I remember that day. And that was cool because that was the last time I saw David Peel, who I, I got to I was just going to say, with. David Peel was there, rest his soul. Yeah, David yeah. Peel was still rocking the house. If anybody doesn't know David Peel, he is the originator of, not the originator, but he was like a folk punk rock, Lower East Side beacon of light. Like they say, mm -hmm. he was the guy that kind of inspired the Ramones and kind of the early punk CBG. He was like right before CBGB and he was doing pot songs in Tompkins Square Park. And yeah. Washington Square Park. And yeah, in Washington. Fact, you know, he's famous for hanging out with uh, Yoko and John Lennon, and he was just singing and smoking one day at Washington Square Park, and the John Lennon got a kick out of him. He's like, hey, we got to hang out with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly uh, how it went. And then he was doing bong hits with Yoko, and... Uh, and it all fell apart after that. It all fell apart. <laughs> are you pro-Yoko pro or anti-Yoko? I'm pro-Yoko. I don't know. I look. I've seen a lot of relationships damage a lot of good things. I don't know. I like weird. I like weird creative people. But if you saw that new uh, beat, well, it's not so new anymore. But that Beatles documentary when they were filming yeah. stuff and loved it. Man, she was like right there. Yeah, she's totally. a freaky art artist chick from you know from from Asia. So it must have like blew his mind just coming across her, you know, I think, uh, yeah. yeah, but relationships are trippy. And, you know, once you start mixing art and relationships, it can go, it can, you know, the pulls and pushes is a little testy. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's true. And I was wondering, Rob, you know, being that you are the most, perhaps the most famous person we've had on the show so far, that's fantastic to say. Um, I, I just want to say uh, congratulations, April. We've, we've, we've leveled up. Um, and I just want to say, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious cause I, you've been in my periphery for a long time. Um, and I've watched you perform, I've watched, but we did have that little moment, you know, 10, 11 years ago where we kind of met. And ever since then, I've just been, you know, following your career and following where you've, where you've, uh, where you've taken it. And I'm really curious, like when this whole like world of comedians and the whole world of comedy, uh, to me is kind of been really in the forefront right now with what's happening with, uh, Will Smith and the, and the whole debacle with, uh, Chris Rock. And now with Dave Chappelle getting attacked on stage, I want to just jump right into it and ask you a quick question about, you know, what is the danger in all this? Like, what is the danger? I mean, this is really kind of a moment in the history of the timeline of comedy, right? Where you look back on this moment and that, that happened with Will Smith and, 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 and Chris Rock and you're and as you, you as a comic, I want to know, like, what are your fears? What are your apprehensions from that experience watching that? Or, you know, as a comedian, what are, what are you afraid of uh, in, in performing now as a result of, these sort this sort of experience that you've watched you know as a third party you know as yeah, a comedian think, yeah that's a great question victor nobody nobody's ants i've never nobody i've never really talked about it i don't like to get into other comedians business but i am a huge fan of dave Chappelle and chris rock you know that's the shit that i grew up on and i love them mm -hmm. and i think they're super high-end performers i just think after covid everybody's locked down so everybody's on edge. Like you really, you know, don't push me. 
Cause I'm to the, <laughs> the edge. edge. I'm trying. I think everybody's at the point right now where they're not trying to lose their head. And I think Chris Rock came. I think that joke was hilarious. Doesn't need anybody slapping. I think Will was whack for doing that. I think it's terrible. I think he lost his mind. But I do think it was like one of those moments in time where everybody's just so fragile and so raw. And Chris just hit him right in the, you know, right in the throat and he freaked and he freaked. And that was like a freak thing. And then the Dave Chappelle, the thing about Chappelle, like he's so fucking big. Like, I don't know how many times he's played the Hollywood Bowl. Like he's plays these huge <laughs> benches and during COVID and it's like 10,000 people, 20,000 people. And I've done big crowds, but yeah, you're dancing in the chaos at that. You know, we've all yeah. been to a huge rocks concert. You go to a tool show or a big fucking thing. You know, I'm, I've always been wary of the super chaos. Like, I'm not afraid to dance, <laughs> it, but I'm also aware that uh, random shit can pop off. So I, do, I think both of those things are random kind of... I think you have to, as a comedian, I've never been a roast dude. I've, my, I've always tried to be a little bit more positive and try to put that vibe out there. Mm -hmm. Something I listened to, Del, the home, funky homo sapien. Mm -hmm. oh, I love Del. Yeah, Del the Funky Hoban say I was watching this video early on uh, about him talking about how to rap. And he was like, if you rap grimy shit, grimy people will start following you. <laughs> if, you were, if you do negative, negative shit, like you're just feeding. And I think that's like the Trump thing and all that, you know. So if you go up a little bit higher, you get kind of a smarter, cooler crowd. So I don't right. know. I think Dave and Chris are at such big levels. And I think that was a security issue. And it sounds like somebody was crazy. I think mental health is right at I'm the point. Unchecked mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess for me, I'm not, no, I've not, I mean, to do stand up, I've been doing it since 99. I started in San Francisco right there. I stayed at the Green Tortoise Hostel for over a year. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Well, th there's your travel There's your travel tip, right? Travel tip all day. Right before <laughs> that, I uh, backpacked in 99, a year before the beach came out. I did uh, a solo backpack all around Southeast Asia with my wow. friend. Uh, I lived in Thailand. I smoked opium in Co uh, Cambodia. Uh, Tell us more. I went to the, I went I went to the heart of darkness and then back. And, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I don't know. I think it's a beautiful life, and it's it's always kind of crazy. We're always on the cusp of the unknown, and the the idea is just to smile and dance forward. You know, as stoners do. Uh, you know, I think that's part of the gig. I think that's great advice. That's great. April has a bunch of questions for you. I'm super excited. Yeah. <laughs> twice, like, you know, when did, you know, when did you start? 99, San Francisco. So what was your first gig? First gig uh, was called, it was right on Market Street. It was called the Luggage Store. And it was an open mic in this weird art house that was above. You had to go up these stairs. And I literally saw it in the newspaper. And I always wanted to per pursue comedy and I actually started uh, circling open mics, was ready to go at like 13 and 14. Wow. But this was in 89, I guess, or 88. And the stand-up kind of dipped during, when I was in college during the early 90s, nobody was doing stand-up comedy. You couldn't see it. It wasn't around. It was dorky. It was nerdy. 
Um, it was just right from 99, and, but I knew it was going to come back around. I was a huge fan of the Rodney Dangerfield uh, HBO specials. Like, I watched all that. I was a full-on comedy nerd. Comedy and hip-hop were, like, my two things. I wasn't really into sports. I liked comedy. I like hip hop. Uh, my mom wanted me to read, so she got me a subscription to The Source early on and got me Rolling Stone. I always loved Rolling Stone magazine. I always had a little bit of deadhead in me. Um, always had, I don't know, I always was kind of a little bit of a flower child, but my parents weren't hippie, but I don't know, those were kind of the things I always gravitated towards. But the question is, yeah, uh, I moved to San Francisco after from, college. From? From DC. I'm okay. originally from Washington, D.C. I grew up right on Capitol Hill. And then we moved down south. And I, then I moved, I lived in D.C. and lived in a small, like, southern town called Buena Vista, Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains, a town of, like, 5,000 with, like, hardcore rednecks. Like, I grew up full-on <laughs> Friday night, punch you out, you know, for reading the book. <laughs> I... Like, uh, but then, you know, that was kind of my impetus to get the hell out of the East Coast and go to San Francisco. And in college, I started smoking weed. I didn't smoke weed in, in high school, but by freshman year in college, I was a big drinker. But my freshman year, I was just like blackout fucking drunk. And then when I started smoking weed, I was like, oh, I love this shit. This is, I want to watch movies and pull bong hits <laughs> and draw cartoons. Like, that's the type of shit I'm into. Uh, so then from there, uh, I guess uh, I got a job right out of college. You know, I was waiting tables since I was 16, um, and I didn't want to do that right out of college. I wanted to get a job. I just wanted to move out of my parents' house, my mom's house. And uh, so I got a job just being a salesman for, it was a, kind of a headhunting company. And I did that for three years, and I hated it. I made 50 grand right out of school. It was cold call. I had to do like 100 cold calls a day. Oh, like my God. But I was doing like hard, not, I never got coke, but that was a lot of ecstasy. And just like my dreams weren't alive, you know? You gotta have dreams to, to push you up and out. And uh, it got to a point where I was like, I didn't like who I was. I wasn't being true to myself. And I just sold everything. I sold everything and I moved back to my mom's house and I worked for a year and saved up 10 grand. And then I put it all into a backpack and, and hike and uh, backpack through Southeast Asia for six months and then landed in San Francisco in 99, uh, right during the dot-com boom. So a lot of my college friends, I always had friends. Uh, a lot of my college friends had a dot-com job. So everybody had a spare bedroom. So that's where I just would crash in the spare bedroom. I worked at the outdoor store on Lombardi's and then uh, during the day, and then I also uh, worked the door at my friend's, uh, that bartended at his bar. I would get money from that. And then I just started open micing it. And as soon as I did that first set, it was, uh, I remember it. Yeah, it was uh, right on Market Street. I didn't know what it was. I, they just said open mic comedy. And it was this weird art studio with like gay, art, like naked dudes and like a robot with a boner and tits. <laughs> Like, really avant-garde, freaky-diggy. Like, I was in San Francisco when it was freaky. When it was weird, yeah. You know what? The Before Microsoft and all those guys moved in, there was a, there was a sweet spot there uh, that it was still like freaks ran the city. And one of the little niches, you know, a lot of music, a lot of dead, a lot of weed, a lot of gay. But one of the niches had a really cool comedy scene. 
And I have yeah. to say, like, I fell into it and I loved it. I stopped hanging out with my college friends, which were all cool, but everybody was like 25 and moving on and getting married and doing serious shit. And I was like, I'm going all in on this shit. So I just, in San Francisco, I did three and a half years of uh, working at the Punchline, working at Cobbs. They were both like yeah. two blocks away. I lived right yeah. on North Beach. Uh, and I would do the coffee shops. I literally would do like seven to 10 sets uh, a week was my goal. Was wow. Seven a week. And they weren't good sets. They were like Oakland. I, I used to do Linnell's open mic over in Oakland. Uh -huh. uh, if you don't know who Linnell is, Linnell's this famous African-American comedian. She played the prostitute in Borat. Uh, <laughs> oh, word, word. Okay. Oh. Like, she knows, like, E-40. Like, she's down with, like, you know, Too Short and those guys. Like, she's old school African-American comedy uh, Oakland from the 90s or whatever. But she, killed, she opens for Cat Williams now, and she's in movies and shit. That's great. Uh, but there was also kind of this budding alt, you know, kind of, it wasn't the alt scene back then, but like Patton Oswalt just moved away. And there was just a cool aesthetic in San Francisco. Like yeah. it wasn't mean comedy. It was more like, that was the first time I saw Hedberg. I saw Hedberg before his Comedy Central special when he was just like doing like 30 minutes. And I remember wow. that. I, I have, I have an interesting Hedberg story. It's actually very real and very intense, but uh, a couple weeks before Mitch died, uh, he played a set at the University of Maryland. I was an undergrad. And uh, I remember, I mean, I wasn't a big Hedberg fan, but I went, you know, we, we checked him out. We saw it was like a free thing, you know, not a free thing, but it, it was. Yeah, he student. wasn't world yeah. famous. He yeah, was, no, no. Yeah, he was always totally. underground. Yeah, so, so at the end of the show, uh, it's kind of a, a tragic story, but at the end of the show, um, we I get a phone call from my close close friend and confidant uh my my close college buddy and he's like yo we're hanging out with mitch after the show can you get me a ball of coke and i was like uh here i am like a fucking you know sophomore in college and i'm like where am i gonna get a ball of coke and I, we you know we didn't we didn't pull through for him that night but two weeks later we found Are out he died in maryland <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 you could have gotten some coke i i just wasn't into that scene man i was like a total yeah, weed head no i tore i toured with hedberg I, that was he was the first and he was a sweet soul and that was yeah. the end and i was around that and i never did coke with him that was the one th he did offer me to do coke with him one night or one night he brought a big plate of it he's like rob come do this with me we were at this place called Bogarts in Ohio. I was on his first theater tour. I opened uh -huh. for him, me and Stephen Lynch, and I was the opener. And I was friends with Hedberg from opening for him in, in the comedy clubs. He was just a sweet soul. And, but he was like the first dude I ever met. Somebody pulled me aside and was like, you know, and he was kind of killing it. He had everything I wanted. He, right. was, he had to act, he was moving, the industry loved him, he was making money, he was eating burritos at night on the road. <laughs> he didn't have a real job, he was cool, he wasn't misogynistic, he, was, uh, he wasn't racist, he was pure goofball. But it was kind of a loss of innocence, just like yourself. Like, he was the first dude that somebody said, you know he does heroin, you know he's into heroin. And I was like, who the fuck does heroin? Like, I didn't know. 
Okay, I ran, I ran with some grimy dudes. I was drinking in bars since I was like 15. You know, I was smoking cigarettes. I, I took my first, uh, you know, I was drinking since I was 14. I just hung out with some grimy cats. I knew dudes that sold coke, but I knew, didn't know anybody that did heroin. And I was like, he's doing that? Like, yeah. what the fuck is he doing? Nobody makes, like very few make it out of that. So I, I, I felt like there, there's, there's a, a point. Yeah. Yeah, there's a point. There was a point in my life where, uh, a lot of that, her- you know, the clandestine heroin use in the circles were starting to come to light. There's just a point yeah. where I, I tur- they, we turned a corner and just people started dying. Right. Like there was in our circle, we've lost, you know, you know, half a dozen friends already that have unfortunately passed to that, you know, um, that that situation. And, and we're really saddened by this, of course, all, all of us, whenever you lose a friend. But it's really interesting. A lot of drugs, you know, cannabis, for, for example, cannabis is one of those that you can do. You know, people tend to want to reach out and do it communally, you know, do it with people, cocaine even. I just noticed the, the, the folks that in my circle that have always, that have consumed or continue to consume, you know, in a, you know, heroin um, or use heroin, um they do it more clandestine. It's not a drug that, you know, I've, I've ever experienced people being like, Hey, let's go party. And you know, there's heroin. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's another couple layers down beyond the social thing. Yeah. So I've never really been around. I've never had friends that really were into heroin. I don't think I've even been around it. I hope I've never been around it. Who knows at what party, but once yeah, you start being in the music scary. industry, yeah, it's yeah. it's just it is a loss of innocence a little bit. You go, mm-hmm. sure. oh wow, it's like that's the dude that has all the dreams that I want, and he's shooting up like it's and, like oh yeah, you just kind of everything crashes down, yeah. Kind of like there goes my hero, and it's almost like that's kind of when I stopped idolizing. I do think idolizing, and, and thank you for saying I'm famous, but I do the more I meditate, the more I am about losing my ego, you know. The ego is just very and dangerous. it's about taking uh, the ego away. Taking the ego away. And I think cannabis, just to try to swing it back into more of the positive. Yeah. Me, you know, I my dad died in a car accident when I was 10. You know, and not that I had a rough life. Everybody has their turns and fucking shit. But uh, cannabis was just the thing that I turned to instead of hard drugs, instead yeah. of alcohol. Yeah. I started going alcohol and cigarettes and negative thought patterns and cynical yeah. ideas. And some people, I don't know, I know some people that can do coke till the end of they die. But for me, it was like cannabis was always fun. It always made me sleep better. It always, uh, it, it, it kind of, I think I, w- I had intense anxiety and cannabis seemed to like, I was before Ritalin. I was before anybody talking about anxiety. And yeah. cannabis was there that kind of mm-hmm. saved me and kind of like, yeah put it like kind of a weird force field around me and push me, yeah. push me uh, in more of a goofball direction. You know? I, I feel that. You yeah. I feel that. You know that with cannabis, like most people who love cannabis, they, they're a little bit more forward thinking. They, you know, think about what they're going to eat. They think about their footprint on this planet and stuff. I think it's, they're just more conscientious people in general. I think it's a catalyst for that. Sure. I mean, look, uh, for me, Rob, in many ways, my discovery of cannabis was similar to yours. I was drinking, I was smoking cigarettes early in, you know, I didn't start smoking until probably I was 17, 18 years old, right? I was already in college, right? Um, I was I was a freshman, 
And somebody was like, let's go smoke some weed. And I was like, eh, okay, let's do it. But I had been drinking a lot. High school, you drink, and high, you drink a lot. You smoke, I was smoking cigarettes. I was just like smoking a pack of parliaments a day. It was awful. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, started smoking weed. And the first time I got high, like, I remember where I was. I was actually, here's the funny thing. The first, I had smoked a bunch, like kind of tried it a bunch. But it was at the MCI Center. Oh yeah. For a Dave Matthews band concert. Oh yeah. In 2000 winter of 2001 tour oh, and the, my speak. girlfriend at the time passes me a bowl and I take a shred of it and I just cough my brains out and fall back into my seat and remember a guy in the in the row behind me going, "Oh yeah, he's high." And I was just like, "Holy crap. Oh yeah, I am high, aren't I?" Uh, <laughs> so I sat there and, and enjoyed my roast and, uh, my, my baked, my baked moment in, in history, my first baked moment in history and thought to myself, like, why the fuck am I drinking alcohol? Like, why am I doing this to myself? And lo and behold, a couple of months later, I quit and I, that was the last time I really drank a lot of alcohol was freshman year. And, uh, and nowadays I take a sip of it here and there at a wedding or whatever, but, um, ultimately I, I quit cigarettes cold turkey a couple months later and I was like this is the beginning of a new 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 life for me I'm done with the alcohol I'm done with the cigarettes and that was weed kind of was my harm reduction to all that but in the end it was something I really valued and, and became very much an important part of my life I started my activism work right after that I, I literally cold called uh normal and i was like guys you need some help and they're like come on down and i was like okay so i sat there and answered phones and you know wrote you know, normal was really nice to me during my early of my career yeah. and because I, I, I my mom lived in dc so i would always end up there uh doing shows or not and they sponsored a couple shows and uh -huh. guys sold weed always had great weed you know? uh -huh. Uh, but normal, I, I, you know, normal's just is, uh, I don't know where they're at right now, but the, you know, they're just good. That's a great way to start. I think they, yeah. Yeah. they are doing good. It's not about ego with those guys. No, yeah. It's are. really about, it's, they really represented very early on, even before legalization. One of the things I really valued about normal's ethos was the, they represented the cannabis consumer, even in a world when it was illegal. And I thought that that was super cool, and I thought that that was super progressive, and I had never thought about things that way at a, you know 18 years old. It's like, wow, this is illegal, but there's people representing us as consumers. I was like, fantastic, this is great. Follow, let me follow up on this, you know. So, <laughs> so it was it was a lot of fun um, growing up in that region. DC is a great place to go to college, a great place to grow up. I grew up in New Jersey, but again, I spent a lot of time you know, down there. And, uh, it was a great, it was a great place to kind of come up, you know? Yeah. It's a good early twenties town. There's a lot of yeah. great music. A lot of people aren't as stressed New York and LA people are going for it. People are trying to make mortgages there. They're just trying, you know, in DC, it was a very bar wing culture even back then, but there was a cool music scene and, you know, there's a hip hop scene. It's diverse. The African-American community with go-go music. I just, uh, was very, you know, I feel blessed to uh, absorb that culture that I took for granted. Um, but yeah, it's it's a cool area, and especially DC's great on legalization. Out of everybody on the oh, East yeah. Coast, DC's like the coolest. I mean, no, uh, Massachusetts has gotten really good. Massachusetts does have it on lockdown, and they have lounges. Yeah, they have lounges. I was just up there, and I went skiing at the small mountain called Butternut, 
Butternut. And, uh, but it, you know, it's like $50 uh, lift tickets, you know, good. They're pumping like Grateful Dead and stick figure out (laughs) high out of their mind. You know, that was, uh, and, uh, but I went to their dispensaries. I have to say, like, they knew their shit. I was like, I want outdoor grown. I want one in one. I want, you know, hybrid, you know, and they, they had it. They, you know, they kind of, they, it was the same as California and Colorado, as you know, are the best when it comes to uh, weed snobbery. And I'm a bit of a snob. It's gotten to that point. Well, you're a pro. You're a pro. You know, you're a pro at being high on tour. You're a pro <laughs> at um, judging weed and knowing what you like. So what would you say, like, are some of your, your favorite smoking cities now that this whole new world of good weed is is opened up? Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, I just did Denver, and Denver's just right on, man. Uh, they got dispensaries everywhere. The weed is good. The vibe, you know, isn't, uh, the vibe, yeah, I, I like when towns don't judge you, you know, whereas East Coast, like here in New York, it still has that thing. And, the, and you know, you, it's still got, I mean, they have dispensaries, and there's underground shit. But you go to the bodegas, and I got a couple like bad bags of weed that I was like, "Does this have fentanyl in it?" Like, <laughs> you know, uh. it was just gnarly, you know. It, but they don't know any better, and there's no real market. Whereas I would say, for me, yeah, San Francisco, Boulder, uh, DC is a great, and then Massachusetts. Uh, you know, th- those are probably the top places right now in terms of. I just like it easy. I'm tired of dealing with a dealer and a dude. I like I like going to the store. I like when the motherfuckers know what they're talking about and care yeah. about it. Have and, some choice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's what California's got it going on. I can't I'm wait totally to get back to the Bay Area. I miss when it. When was the last time you were here? I was, I was right before the pandemic, and I did a date, and I did d- Getting Doug with High with uh-huh. Doug Benson's show in L.A., and then I did a show in San Francisco. So I think it was like 2018. But I remember uh, I drove down. I, w- I flew in with my family, actually. We did the Route 1 drive. But I, it was the first time I went to a dispensary and I asked for a pen. I got a cartridge. And I asked for outdoor grown, one-on-one, part CBD, part THC, which I like both. And... Uh, and they had it, and it was awesome. It was like five minutes, boom, bip, and I'm <laughs> a cup of coffee. I'm rocking. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the whole town. So it, it was like I was showing my, my family all the spots I played. I did a set at the punchline. And then, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I was down. And then I stayed with my buddy, Mookie Thompson, who's also a, a comedian. And yeah, the dispensary was right next to his thing. So, I would, you know, I'm big into the pre-rolls. I like going in. If I hit a town, if anybody's listening, if you want to travel high, a good thing if you go to a legal place. The thing about dispensaries is they could take you for 200 bucks easily. If you love oh, weed, it, so can, it could go wrong. It, it's a, it's <laughs> not, like, not like when I would go to a strip club when I was 21. Like it, They're going to get your money. That's why I stopped going to those things. The same thing with the dispensary. But the, 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 the good move with that is... Uh, the good move, I would say, as a as a travel hint, is always go and just get two pre-rolls and then hit the pre-rolls, you know? Just hit the pre-rolls or, you know, usually they're one gram or two gram, $8 to $5. If you unroll it and smoke it out of your pipe, you know, that's, you know, that's your two-day trip. Usually you're in a town for 
two to three days. So if you buy an ounce there, then you got to get back on the plane, which is getting better. But it's there's still some gray area with traveling with weed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I still like I almost bought some cartridges when I was in Boulder. These guys had I went to this dope dispensary in Boulder uh, called Unity. If anybody wants to check it out, it was like downstairs. It's on the coolest street, but it was like kind of it wasn't like gross. Some of the dispensaries are like, yo, come do bong. You know, it's almost like <laughs> a, a dirty 7-Eleven, you know, a nasty one guy smoking meth in the back, you know, all the weeds got bugs in them and shit. Uh, but this place was clean, mean, and they had this strain called Rob Gnarly. <laughs> and I, I loved it. It was a great strain. And uh, yeah, that's and that, the text you sent me. You sent me a text with that. You sent us a text with that that Rob Gnarly uh, pre-roll. So that's it. That's the one. Yeah, you guys were hitting me up. And I was. Uh, that was the time I flew right into Denver. And then I took a... If anybody flies in, this is a good travel tip. Uh, I had a show in Boulder just, like, booked out of, you know, no... It wasn't, like, a big show. It's like, their local show. But they pack it out, like, 300 people, and I can make some money, and they kind of know me. But, you know, it doesn't have a hotel and shit like that. But you can go to right to their Union Station. There's a bus for $5, and you're in Boulder in 30 minutes. So if anybody <laughs> hits Denver, Denver can get kind of grimy. So you want to hit Denver for a day, but if you want to do a cool day trip and hit, like, a cool dispensary and maybe, see, you know, get lunch in Boulder, that's a good power move. That's We like that. So that's a good tip. That's a city outside of the city is always one of my favorite tips, right? If yeah. you can, if you land in a big major city, I always tell that to people about Oakland too. It's like, there's a lot to do in Oakland. Uh, if you like the nightlife, you know, you're going to find a, a great nightlife scene when you arrive in San Francisco, but you'll find an even better nightlife scene across the Bay. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in Oakland and, and the city outside of the city is always a really good tip for folks, uh, traveling. Yeah, for sure. Um, April, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick this one back to you. You got some great questions for for Rob. I want to keep this. But it's so cool how this conversation is just organically flowing because oh, totally. so many of these questions are getting answered. <laughs> so, yeah. So I don't know. Let's bring it back to you, Rob, okay. and, and your comedy and stuff. And um, do you perform when you are under the influence of cannabis? Yes. Yeah. I love, I do love performing <gasps> high. Uh, yeah, I, I, it does take the edge off for me. I do think it comes down to anxiety. Like, it kind of takes it off. But it, you, as you know, it's a double-edged sword. Like, it can bring the anxiety on. Like, I've danced uh-huh. with it since 99. But I will say, like, the first couple open mics, like, the first night I killed at the luggage store. And I thought I was going to be on Saturday Night Live within, like, three days. And this is in 99. I was like, holy shit. I just ripped the shit out of that room. And then the next night was the open mic. And it was called The Brainwash. And it was at a laundromat. Oh, I know that place. I know that place. I have seen my buddy Jimmy Devine has performed there. And I, everyone who gets up on that place, I thought they were just giving away alcohol. Like, no, it's just everybody shows up drunk. I just, <laughs> I, like, I, I had the worst set, like, in terms of stand-up, like, it can, what I'm trying to paint the picture is, like, it can go from the highest of high to, like, pure ego death, like, literally, like, your dad seeing you getting your ass kicked in front of you. Like, literally, like, some of the most horrific ego death you can go through is oh. bomb stand-up. 
So that's what I did. Yep. So I would say like the, what I'm trying to say is there was like the, there was like, I was getting high to the first one. Like I stayed sober the first couple times and then I got high and did it and I bombed. And then I was like, let me just go six weeks dry just to figure it out. And once I figured it out, like kind of got more comfortable and more comfortable, then I brought in cannabis and cannabis was more of it, it worked better with traveling and, I would go to Sacramento. That was the first time I opened for Hedberg was in Sacramento. And that's like a two hour drive. And sometimes they wouldn't give you the uh, hotel. So you're like, you're, you know, it was just, it would help the drive, you know, smoking weed would help the drive. Pre-show you'd hang out with the other comics. Joe Bartnick was an old friend, Al Madrigal, W. Kamau Bell. These are all the guys that I started with. So, you know, smoking pot with those guys were great. They were hilarious. They were interesting. And then I would perform. So yeah, and uh, so in the beginning, I would say I just had to get the craft down. And then I brought weed in. And by the time you saw me, April, when I went on stage in Amsterdam, like I was high as the audience was high as hell. I was high as hell, and I already performed in the uh, marijuana logs. But I yep, will yep. say, coming from San Francisco, unlike the New York comedy scene, which is a very cut throat and New York moves at a cocaine minute you know so it's very <laughs> fast uh so but the San Francisco scene like uh yeah weed was a plenty you know and you know the first check I got was from Bill Graham Presents uh wow that was my wow. first check it the checks oh, no. Bill Graham Presents and it was right before Clear Channel went in and ended up taking over Bill Graham but I was there when Bill Graham Presents and that crew they owned the punchline, but they also owned the Fillmore, the Warfield, any concert. They were like the hippie mob. Yeah. I remember one of the best parties I went to uh, because I played at the punchline. I got my first paid gig there. You were you could go to the Warfield that people would. Right. Win. So you could go to concerts and shit. But the best thing, this was before Clear Channel and all that shit moved in. I went to the, the Bill Graham Christmas party at the Fillmore. Whoa. Uh, and that was all the staff. That was all yeah. the Warfield staff. And they literally, the Warfield had beds laying all around it. So you could hang out. There wasn't like full on sex, but people were just hanging out on beds, smoking weed. There was a burrito section. There was a drink section. There was a pancake section. And it, the drinks were on the house. Like it, this was before everything got computerized. So it was back like wink and smile. Like, no, we run this joint. And uh, I re shout out to uh, Ngayo Bilam. I just remember being uh -huh. in Ngayo was Ngayo uh, Bilam is a stand-up comic from San. He's been on our tours. He, he's a regular on our tours. Oh, I do a celebrity weed tour with Ngayo. He's a good friend of both of ours. Yeah, old school. But I just re and, and I always respected Ngayo because he was very early on in cannabis, and he's not faking the funk when it comes to nope. weed at all. Oh uh, no! But I just remember me and my buddy Dan Crawford and Ngayo. And me just being an East Coast guy and coming from such a conservative family, but then looking around like, holy shit, I'm at the house party for the Fillmore, just rocking <laughs> out, eating free burritos up in this joint. Like, uh, it was sick. I, I, I looked so fondly. I was so broke and so desperate to make it back then. But man, it was a fun fucking ride, man. I got to see, I saw Supergrass for free at uh, the Fillmore. <laughs> Uh, I I remember, and then, and then that's when Amoeba was just kicking ass. I yeah. Seeing, oh, man. Uh, Amoeba. I remember one day 
I, I was surfing at the time, but this was a great day in San Francisco. I caught my first wave like down in Ocean Beach. Uh -huh. what's, that, what's that next beach beyond Ocean Beach, that little town? Uh, Pacifica. Uh, Pacifica, Pacifica, yeah. Taco yeah. Bell, if anybody wants to go check out oh, a little nice town. One. Yeah, you go down, go down Route 1, just like 20 minutes from San Francisco and hit Pacifica. And it's literally like, I remember you're on this glassy three-foot wave. I got this big fat board that anybody could stand up on. But I'm looking at the mountains and the sun is coming down. And I caught a wave. And then we went to Amoeba Music. And it was, uh, it was a band playing for free. I mean, it doesn't sound like, but it was uh, G-Love. Uh, special sauce. Wow. And then I went to the punchline and uh, I did a set of, on their big showcase, which is Sunday night. And that's where the locals come. But the local scene was like, you know, Patton was just left. But, there, you know, there was killers laying around. Yeah. Uh, but the crowd was high, and I just had a great set. So I just remember that day in my mind, like I surfed a wave. I saw a free concert. And then I got on stage at the punchline. Like, Couldn't it was, have been uh, better than this. Yeah, goals uh. afterwards and then crashing and then doing it all over again. I was working a couple different, you know, shit jobs to get by, but, uh, it, it, you know, it was fun. Nostalgia, bro, nostalgia. Yeah, nostalgia. yeah well, those moments. Those, yeah, you and all those guys, like, pretty much grew up together as performers pretty I know I've known those guys all before kids and everything so yeah it's just weird how far back some of some of those cats I go back with like I knew Bill Burr Bill Burr did my podcast and now he's so big and famous but uh yeah I remember playing with him and you know 15 people in the audience at the Boston Comedy Club in New York before anybody knew him before you know anything yeah like that's amazing mean redhead kid but he was always cool and nice uh he's a smart dude isn't that the it, like have that's to the truth smart. though? You have to yeah. be smart to be a comic. Well, I stand up comedy is is my favorite art form, performing art form. I consider it a sacred art. You gotta really like know yourself and like put yourself out there on stage. You know, you go to a concert, right? People are talking and blah blah blah. You go to do some comedy and go to see comedy, the crowd is silent and you yeah. are it's all on you. A lot of vulnerability there. A lot of openness. A lot of a lot of yeah. Comedy. I'm always usually on the comedian side, unless it's like some blatant racist stuff, you know, terribly sexist. But you know, I, I always am in support of the comics. So yeah, you day one. I, I yeah, April. You were always. I think you always got what I was trying to do. Uh, you know, doing stand up and smoking weed and you know just hustling. I was one hey. of those kids that was allowed to watch Eddie Murphy raw and <laughs> Rodney and yeah. Carlin and stuff when I was like eight years old. And, you know, I got in trouble for show and tell for bringing a Frank Zappa. I wanted to show a Frank Zappa song called Baby Take Your Teeth Out in third grade. And I didn't really get what it meant. Yeah. yeah I, do. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I never heard that title, but that is hilarious. It's about making out with an old lady. Yeah, and take your teeth out, and it's really, really, you know, I heard it feels real good, but. <laughs> wow. Frank oh, wow. the original freak. He was the Rob, well, I, I want to pivot a little bit. You, too, have a podcast, yeah. and that podcast focuses on my two favorite drugs, weed and caffeine, yep. uh, weed and coffee. Um, tell me a little bit about the podcast, but what I really want to know is, what's your favorite kind of coffee? 
<laughs> oh, I could I could talk about this for hours. And there's 170 uh, episodes on <laughs> iTunes right now that you could hear me just rambling about coffee and smoking, you know, one hitters or bowls or bongs. Uh, yeah, I've recorded it in Jamaica. I've been I've had Bill Burr on it. I had uh, Mike Doty, the singer of Soul Coughing on it. Wow. Cool. Very cool. Uh, and then uh, Neil Fallon, the lead singer of the band Clutch, was on uh -huh. it. I love Clutch. That's a Baltimore band, baby. Heads up, Clutch. They are a fucking driving rock band. I love oh, those guys. Yeah, yeah. If you want some good house speakers and an old school bong hit and some Clutch, that's where you're done. <laughs> Wrap it up. You're done. That's it. That's a great night out. That's a great night <laughs> a great out. Night if you got a good sound system. No, I always respected those guys because they did have like a DC go-go flavor with their drumming, but they weren't cheese balls. You know, they just, uh, with the thing about rock and they roll. They were badass. They were really badass. No, they were not cheese balls. Dude, I was afraid of that lead. What's the lead singer's name? I forget. But I, was I was afraid of that guy. Yeah. Neil Fallon. Yeah, he Neil was Fallon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a bad, yeah, he's a great writer, great, uh, yeah, those guys are awesome. That's an amazing uh, American rock and roll band if you're into rock yeah. and roll. Yeah, so tell me a little bit, of, you got to answer, what's your favorite coffee, bud? Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going, I was going, you know, I mean, at Stumptown as a bean, you know, that's kind of mainstream, and I definitely, that's something I get hyped on. Mm -hmm. Uh and I went through an espresso phase. I got into espressos really hardcore. Lattes, not as much. Uh, but I would always do a French press. Uh, I like medium roast, a little bit of a higher end uh, lavazza, or, you know, what's good is that uh, Pete's coffee is really good there Pete's in San Francisco. Pete's is a really good bean. If you go for Pete's, uh, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with uh, with um, Stumptown. I got to make a favorite call here on mine. San Francisco, Ritual Coffee, baby. I have been to Ritual. Ritual? Ritual. That's good. Yeah, Ritual they Coffee is... Growing? Yeah, they do. They do it all. Uh, I also really like... There's a... Um, it's Ritual, and there's one Ritual more. Is the one in the Mission, or the one in North Rituals, Beach? Rituals in North Beach. Yep. At least at least the one I go to is in North Beach. I know and then in, the, in, in Soma, there's also Sight Glass, which is very good as well. Uh, yeah, just to tell people, yeah, I was doing two French presses a day, and it was <laughs> a little too much. And I just got, uh, and the reason, I, I've been really about my health, guys. I've been doing uh, these Tibetan stretches i mean i did 20 minutes of meditation not high this morning uh but i got i went and got my blood checked and my cholesterol i don't have to take the the medicine the weird thing is is that they're giving i don't know if you guys know this but everybody's on this cholesterol medicine it's yeah i'm crazy. not <laughs> i'm not but it was a little bit high because uh my wife is always making ham sandwiches and shit and i'm like i'm done <laughs> with the ham i grew up on bacon and fucking all that shit i'm done with it let's get some fucking avocados and some olives up in here um but no uh but he what he said was the french press you do get some cholesterol from the french press and he said rob you got to switch to filtered so i just got the chemex and i always thought the chemex was douchey i don't know if you guys know about the chemex it's just that glass bowl yeah and you do the, the pour, pour over. over and yeah. uh i love it 
I was I was totally get, it was like I, I was the last one to get the iPhone. I was the last guy to jump on social media. I'm so old school that way. But when I tasted like a good bean, like I do, I do like to grind my own beans. I like fresh. I the same thing with cannabis. I always say it's like if you know the grower, it's all about the freshness. You know, it's all about right. the born know, on date. The born on date yes. and getting it just it's like an avocado. There is that magic point. Mm-hmm. But the minute it goes over that point, it's just fucking bonk. And before it is just not right. And the yeah. same thing with coffee and cannabis. So my new thing is a good solid bean. I'm uh I got an at- atlas like coffee of the month I got for Christmas for my brother-in-law. So I'm getting like beans from China, I'm getting beans oh. from all over the world. Wow. I'm that maniac. I'm that maniac who goes to the like specialty coffee or like specialty coffee section of the specialty grocery store. And I'll, I'll like, I'll like flip every bag looking for the, looking for the closest roast date. Like I don't even care what it is. It could be like Dunkin' Donuts coffee. As long as the roast date, no, I'm lying about that. That is bullshit. I just bolt. No, it's not Dunkin' Donuts coffee. That shit is swill, but I'm, but it could be like whatever coffee they offer there. I just look for the nearest roast date because that does really promote a lot of the, like a lot of the uh, CO2 release when you pour in the hot water, it's really creates that frothy, foamy, head to the to the to the pour over it's a really beautiful experience i love it so real guys- flavor same thing with cannabis like if you know yeah. the grower and it's cured just at that i remember the, so, yes. first, the best bag i got was up in humboldt but it was a town green valley is that a little town we did the marijuana logs there and this guy gave me a bag and it was grown up there. And I remember it just tasted like peppermint. It was just so, it was just so fucking perfect and outdoor and just nature. I just re- still remember that bag. There's a lot of, the, you could grow, I mean, nowadays people are growing coffee in the States, right? So like there's a, uh, there's Arabica, um, they, they're uh, selecting Arabica beans and uh, if you keep a nice little orchid-like environment for them, they grow pretty well. They need a lot of moisture, a lot of heat and humidity. But there are people successfully growing handfuls of beans at a time in America. I mean, it's not its not a lot. It's kind of a newer thing. And we tried it here at the farm, uh, here at our property, We, we a couple of years before... Uh, pandemic, we we tried to you know uh, get a bunch of coffee plants going, and it, it didn't go well. We're not we're not a we're not the ideal climate here in uh, Northern California for it. But if you can keep the keep it under a, a greenhouse to keep it a moist moist environment, it'll grow. Yeah, it needs to be. They like elevation. I've done a lot of coffee talk, but they yeah the plant likes a lot of elevation, but it needs sun, but it also needs blockage from the sun. Like it right, needs it shade, sun. indirect sun, yeah. yeah. Indirect sun in altitude, you know, that's kind of, you don't want it to burn. You don't want it like desert right. on the shit. You want it kind of hidden, like up in a rocky place. That's why they always talk about elevation. But here's an interesting fact. Where are the two places in America that make the most coffee? Hawaii. Check. One more. Florida? Puerto Rico. Oh, shit. That's right. Oh. Puerto Rico. Oh. Have you had Puerto Rican coffee yet in your... I've looked for it. And there is like a couple places because I look for it because a part of me is like, you know, I always think that America should be... And I think it's the flip... the, 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 It's coming down here in New York, but 
this government's going to need money and cannabis is getting all this tax, you know, cannabis is coming on strong right now and they're going to want that money. So I always thought like, why isn't America like we always get Ecuador beans or Mexican beans and all this stuff, but we should just be going Puerto Rico and Hawaii. Yeah. Okay. Starbucks, all your fucking billion dollar Starbucks industry. Let's get all your beans from a, you know, kind of like, why don't we, why don't we, take advantage of those two cool places and Hawaii's got great beans and great weed. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to actually, I think the Hawaiian coffee is actually, it's very flavorful coffee. It's not as bold or as it doesn't have the body I want when I pour over a cup. So just to nerd out with you a little bit about coffee for a second. Uh, I definitely prefer my central American single source you know, roasts, you are know, you, are you more of a French roast? Are you going dark, dark? I'm going, I'm going medium, medium, medium yeah. body, medium roast. And I like, uh, I like to pour it over and I like it to be, if, if it's a good solid blend, I'll take it. But I prefer like a small craft batch of Colombian or a small craft batch of Costa Rican. Those are my preferred Rican coffee. That's what I yeah. going to say. And I actually been on. That's where I get before. most of my beans. Yeah. The most Pretty of the times the bags here in Brooklyn, you know, they do have like good coffee everywhere. And even the grocery store, it's like Colombian beans, kind of a generic that. And I always get that. I look for the fresh date, it's $7.99. But it says Colombian. There's no graphic designer. There's mm. no nothing. It's just yeah. raw beans. But it says, you know, Colombian, this date, that's it, you know? Mm. And so you just grab that and it does taste good. I do think the elevation, Peru's got some good coffee. Like it needs to be hot and it also needs to be elevated. And mm. bringing it back to you, April, you know about the Blue Mountain, right? You know about yeah. the mm-hmm. Blue yeah. Mountain. Jamaican Blue Mountain. They got some yeah. bomb ass coffee. That's making that coffee. I love to pour like the rum cream in my coffee. Oh, nice. I, um, I, I'm a big fan, you know, when I can get it or when I'm around it, I I also, I'm, I'm a secret nut for uh, blue bottle and blue bottle is really good. It's, it's pricey coffee, but it's good. It's well done. Um, I have a funny story. I was in a blue bottle and I, I love all their coffee. I think all their roasts are great, but there's one in particular that I really like. And it was it was very popular for a long time. It's still around. You can still get it. It's from it's Mexico. It's from Mexico. It's the Chiapas Triunfo. It's from the Triunfo Collective, and it's from Chiapas, Mexico. And I walked into. I had just bought a bunch of bags like a couple of weeks before. I gave them given them to friends and stuff. And I walk into the. I walk into. Um, the blue bottle. I forget which one it was in San Francisco or maybe the ferry building or something like that. I walk into the blue bottle and I'm like, hi, do you guys have any more of that Mexico Chiapas Triunfo? And you could have heard like the, you know, the, the screech of the, of the record stop. Right. And every, and the guy turns to me, goes coffee's like watermelon. It's seasonal. So that's not around right now. And I was just like, just shot down. Just all of, just everything about me was just shattered right there. I was like, okay, well, a guy who knows a lot about coffee just got told by the barista that he's an idiot. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that, there is that snobbery in San Francisco <laughs> uh, at certain times, uh, but you got to brush that shit off. But yeah, you're right. It, it, I think it's the same thing with like strains of weed. You know, you could talk about strains all day long, but really knowing <laughs> the grower and the time and the place is kind of more important. 
But yeah, because yeah, that that Mexican what you're talking about, it has a certain spice to it, right? It it's very well. Actually, I I find it a very sweet coffee. It's right. one of those. The Chiapas Triunfo is an organic coffee that, to me, doesn't need milk or sugar. It doesn't ever need milk or sugar because it's it's so naturally, inherently caramely and sweet. And the way they roast it in that like dry, you know, the beans look really dry and look really nice and. Um, and I just, again, it's one of my favorite all-time coffees. Uh, and and every time I find a Chiapas coffee, I try to grab it. But that story, man, holds that man. That story just like corrected my life, right? Like it was just, it was a, it was a trauma. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry you were scarred by the barista. At, at Blue Bottle, let's just be let's just be for the record. We got to be honest. It was oh yeah, it was Blue Bottle. Yeah, that that is a snobby place. But they, I used to go in there for espresso. They would just fucking nail. Yeah, it. they kill the espresso. Yeah, yeah, they're all their espresso drinks. It's just like whoa, like yeah. uh, that's the that's you know that's almost like going to Italy. Italy. Question, like important question: to oat milk or not to oat milk? Oat milk all day. I'm done okay. with cheese. Yeah. I'm done with that. I, I think the heart is the machine. I think. I'm not going full on vegan, but I just I could feel it. Like the more I meditate, the older I get, the more I understand who I am and what yeah. my body's doing. And uh, yeah, I love oat milk. Like uh, I'm doing oatmeal in the morning, but I, I just did a I do a banana peanut butter, and I used to do milk in there, but now I do oat milk. And I put cinnamon and honey and my banana peanut butter oat milk shake as my afternoon treat. Oats on oats on oats, man. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah, oats all day, man. That's good for your heart. All about your yeah. heart. Yeah. It's all about your heart. It is all about your heart. Hey, we're coming to the end of our hour. Yeah. April, do you want to hit? Question. You want to hit Rob with one more question? I'll hit you with one more question. Okay, Rob. Okay, I'm ready. Tell us one thing that people would be surprised to learn about you. Hmm. One thing that people would be surprised to learn about me. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I mean, it's, uh, let's say, I, I, I got a couple, I got a bunch of things. I broke out this front tooth uh, at a Talladega NASCAR event. And then uh, in college, we rented a Winnebago and we went down, our friend worked for NASCAR and we got, and I wasn't even into the shit, but we got some mushrooms and it was a bunch of us and somebody rented a Winnebago that ended up getting wrecked and I had to pay like $300. It was like 20 of us. But uh, I remember I ran and I, it's not that cool of a story. So maybe it, it's, it's <laughs> that's just always kind of weird that I, it, Rob broke his tooth out at a NASCAR event. But the other thing is not to be braggadocious and, but I'm slightly proud of it is uh, my dad's second cousin was George C. Scott. So wow. I was, yeah, so I was, uh, so my dad was down with Patton, was down with like the number one actor. And the thing about the Cantrells is like, and like my grandmother raised George C. Scott for a minute uh, when he was bouncing around. He comes from this small, small town called Pound, Virginia, Wise County, Pound, Virginia, in the Appalachian Mountains. But uh, he was the guy that won the Oscar and then denied it, was like, I'm not showing up because it's a fucking meat market. And uh, and it's all about the ego. He was all about the skill, I guess, is what. I, and I'm always been proud of that. That it wasn't about the ego with that guy. It was about the craft. Oh, that's very cool. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Well, Rob, we have come to the top and the end of our hour, and I want to thank you so much for being with us today. It has been a ma- magnificent moment in my life to to meet you and talk to you again. Thank and you. I hope I hope we can continue this relationship in this fun time. Uh, and I want to just give you an opportunity to, that we give all of our guests your final high on tour hot take moment. Tell us whatever you want to tell us. Promote whatever you want to promote. You've got your 30 seconds. Go. Uh, peace, love, be kind. Uh, everybody's on edge. Uh, nonviolence, weed, creativity, music, vibes. Uh, check me out at robcantrell.com and the Cannabis Coffee Hour on iTunes. Awesome. Thank you, Rob Cantrell. April Black, you're the oh, best. Thank you, Rob. It's been great catching up with you. You've always thank been one you. of my favorites, and I love watching and seeing what you're doing. Oh, April, thanks for having me on the show. I, I love the movement. I love California. I see you guys touring. Victor, congrats. I want to come to Humboldt. I want to take a tour of these farms. I want to get to, I want to get a couple ounces of outdoor grown good Humboldt. That's what's up. That's what's up. All the terpenes, sun grown all the way. Oh, sun grown organic, just like fine wine. I really think, you know, that's why I always push the cannabis coffee hour. It's like, as you get older, you, I mean, I don't know how you can run on booze and cigarettes and hard drugs for so long after 50. Like, I don't know. You could do weed and coffee forever. Yep. Yeah. On that note, thank you very much, Rob Cantrell. Thank you very much, April Black, and thank you very much to all of our listeners for checking us out today. Cannot wait to be with you again next week. More to come on High on Tour. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your afternoon. Goodbye, everybody, and have a wonderful 420 today.